0: All right, let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 8. And this is the week after two weeks of kind of an introduction to this very important chapter. We're ready to start walking down the verses now, beginning in verse 1. So I want to read the first four verses. Before I do that, let me say this uh, I, I forgot to mention this earlier when I was given a plug for the uh, Doctrines of Grace podcast. Those would be an excellent introduction to Romans chapter 9. Okay? When we get to Romans chapter 9 through 11, those are uh, chapters that are, uh, well, they've been controversial. I love them. As a matter of fact, chapter 9 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I exalt in it. I, I think it's wonderful to focus on God's sovereignty over all things and all peoples, including you and your salvation. Sovereignty that always l- reflects the gospel and reflects our salvation back to God and the glory to Him and Him alone where it belongs. So, but these five podcasts, I think, would be a good primer on that. and You would be ahead of the game by the time we got to chapter 9 if you took the time to listen to those. But that will be a number of weeks from now because we are in this very important chapter, chapter 8. We don't want to just fly by chapter 8 to get into chapter 9 because it's referred to as some as the most important or at least the most edifying chapter in all of the New Testament. This is a chapter that focuses on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in us. As these earlier chapters focusing on the person and work of the Son, Jesus Christ, for us, now we see as a result of our trusting in Him, we have the Spirit of Christ in us and what He does within us and what He allows us to do. This is a very practical portion of Scripture. It's very practical for your daily life. As a matter of fact, in the heading in our The Bibles we are using here, the English Standard Version, they put that heading over chapter 8, life in the Spirit. And you could say daily life in the Spirit. The way you live now is in the Spirit or by the Spirit. We are spiritual people, Spirit-filled people, and that's very practical in how we live our lives. It's just how, this is what we looked at last week, just how Jesus lived His life is by the power of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit under governance in His soul and mind and heart and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And that is what we are to understand and apply into our lives. Let's read the first four verses. We'll pray and then we'll dive in. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's just pause and ask God's blessing on these verses. Father, now we're asking for the Spirit's help in understanding these verses, comprehending them. We all need it. I'm asking for the Spirit's help to teach and preach in a way that is godly and wise and loving and powerful because it comes from Your Word and it is the Spirit. And so I'm asking now for His gifting in a unique way to help all of us in our daily lives to walk by the Spirit and to understand what that means and the glorious truths that we see in this chapter. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's how I'm going to break up these four verses, and I don't think I'll get to all of these this week, but verse 1 is the reminder and relief. In verse 1, you're going to see a reminder, and you're going to get relief from it. In verses 2 and 3, we're going to see the reasons for that reminder and relief, and then in verse 4, the result. So the reminder and relief, the reasons and the result. Let's look first in verse 1 at this wonderful reminder that we have here that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason I say that this is a reminder is because it's not the first time that Paul has taught this in the book of Romans up until this point. So if you just take a moment to flip back to chapter 5 and you look at verses 1 and 2, look at this conclusion he drew there. He's using that word, therefore, and what he had been teaching. And he says in chapter 5, verse 1, "...therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God." I would propose that he's saying the same thing there, in those two verses, that he's saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in a different way. To say that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus is to say that those in Christ Jesus are justified by faith. Because remember, to be justified means you're not condemned. When you're justified, your sins are forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross, And God has declared you righteous at that point of time of faith. When you believe in Him, God declares you righteous. And so it's as though you've never sinned and always have done right. So there is therefore now to those in Christ Jesus by faith, right? There is no condemnation to them. This is what it means to be justified. This is at the heart of what Paul is talking about in these early chapters of Romans, You need to be justified, not by your own works or law-keeping. That's impossible, chapter 7 explained. That's impossible. You need to be justified by faith in Christ alone. And then, for you, being in Christ, there is no condemnation to you, no possibility of it. We can actually, according to chapter 5 and verse 2, we can actually rejoice, or remember, Boast in hope of the glory of God. It is ours. Future glory and heaven and being glorified in the resurrection is ours to the extent that we get to boast in it. We get to proclaim it boldly when we are justified by faith or when we are in Christ Jesus. And isn't that what it means to be in Christ Jesus? That's not some mystical phrase that we got to figure out. Oh, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It simply means that you're trusting in him. Your faith is resting in who he is and and what he's done. It's it's you're trusting in him and at that point then you're justified. And there's no condemnation. When you're in Christ, you receive all of the blessings and the benefits of His work for you. You see, that's what it means to be in Christ. And you are safe from the judgment to come because you're in Christ. You're as safe from the judgment to come as Christ would be safe from the judgment to come because you're in Christ. You're united to Him by faith. All His work is credited now to you. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is true, Paul says, that all of us will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in the body. But it isn't a matter in that moment of whether or not we're going to be justified or condemned, not for the believer. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for them. The verdict has already been rendered, you see, in Jesus Christ. So it's not something that we're looking at with fear and trembling and hoping we pass the test. Like, unfortunately, many Christians live that way. I hope I pass the test. I hope I'm doing enough to please God so that when I stand before the judgment throne, He'll look at me and say how good I did, and then He'll let me in. You don't have to live that way, according to Paul. You don't have to have that fear of judgment that can be cast out immediately because you've trusted in Christ and therefore now there is no condemnation to you and the judgment's already been rendered, justified. Those in Christ are justified and therefore no possibility, none whatsoever, cannot happen. No one in Christ Jesus can come into future condemnation. It's apart from us now. This is expressed in probably the most well-known Bible verse in in the Bible, and that's John 3.16. He says it in a different way. Now listen to this. and I'm going to lead into something with this, so stay with it. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is a way of saying that those who believe in Jesus will not be condemned. They will not perish. They will have eternal life if they believe in Jesus. Sometimes we use this verse as an invitation, which it can be. You could say, hey, look at anyone who believes in Jesus will receive eternal life. So believe in Jesus. But ultimately the purpose of it in the Gospel of John was identification. It identifies those who will not be condemned. If the question brewing in John's day was, will the Jews who are rejecting Christ, though living according to the law, will they be condemned? Answer, yes. They will be. Because they have not believed in Jesus. You see, it's identifying for us the ones who are going to be saved, not perish, not be condemned, be justified, and have eternal life. But, with Romans 8.1, and with Romans five one and 2, and with Rome, uh, John 3.16, there is a flip side to that same coin. There's a negative point to it, to be made. That, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but... Friends, for those not in Christ Jesus who have not believed in Him, there is what? There's condemnation for them. Anyone not in Christ will be condemned. It's like the picture you get in the early books of Genesis and Noah in the ark. And Noah's told to prepare this ark. And anyone who was in the ark, well, they're safe when the judgment came. But everyone else was condemned. Everyone else was condemned, except for the eight souls who, by faith, entered into the ark. And when God's judgment came, they were saved. Now what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8 is that those who are in Christ now are safe from condemnation, but everyone else is not. John 3.16 is the most well-known verse in the Bible, but it's followed very closely with John 3.18, which isn't as well-known. Nobody's holding John 3.18 up at football games, (laughs) though they should Perhaps, whoever believes in him is not now condemned. There is no condemnation now to those who believe in him. But whoever does not believe, listen to this, is condemned already. There is therefore now condemnation to those who are not believing in Jesus because he is not believed in the name of the only son of god you see that now here's why i'm parking on this if that's true then is that not one of the primary motivations behind gospel global missions to unreached people groups like we're seeing with the Floyds? Isn't that not a good case to be made to give financially to the cause of people like the Floyds who are taking the gospel to people who have never heard it, because we've got to maintain the exclusive nature of the gospel. That means we've got to maintain this, that yes, everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved, but everyone else will be condemned. We have to maintain that or we lose the entire gospel. If we somehow come up with this solution that God's just going to save everyone in the end, universalism, Or that somehow all these paths and roads will lead to heaven, because certainly God's not going to condemn this entire world and all the people in it out of some misconception of God's love. Then what this does is places in the heart and mind, hopefully, of the believer a sense of urgency in this message and a sense of responsibility to support those who are raised up by God and gifted by His Spirit to take the gospel to people who have never heard it and share the gospel with them. And sometimes it is time in a mission field where there's been labor for years and years, just like the Floyds are thinking about and they're praying through, and no one there, very few there are receiving the gospel, to sometimes, yes, there's biblical principle, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place now. Those people have heard, they're rejecting, you move on now, there's precedent for that. But the purpose is to bring the gospel to those who have never heard it, because without them hearing the gospel, there can be... No salvation. And this is the way God has chosen to build His church. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. Well, how is Jesus going to do that? He sends out His people to gather His people, to gather His lost sheep among this world through the proclamation, through the faithful proclamation of the gospel about Him. That's why missions exist, to bring non-worshippers of god to become worshipers of god to bring glory to god and extending that gospel to the nations paul was a missionary by the truest sense of the definition. And it says in Romans 15, verse 20 to 21, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And you probably don't remember this, I was reminded of it this week, but when we introduced the Book of Romans, we said one of the purposes that Paul brought out the Book of Romans, he wrote this book of Romans or this letter to that church, is because he planned on visiting them as a missionary. He had never visited Rome before, in the Roman Christians anyway, there, the Roman church, so he goes there, he's going to go there, but he's preparing the way with his message. And his plans, according to chapter 15, were to move on from there to Spain. Because at that time, gospel hadn't reached it yet. And Paul's a missionary to unreached peoples. And so he was going to carry it on. And he's hoping to elicit the support of the Roman church. And what a great way to do it, of to remind them of the exclusive nature of this gospel. That it needs to keep moving forward. What a selfish people we would be in the United States. We are steeped in Christianity and the gospel. Most of us in this room grew up in churches where it was rehearsed to us week upon week upon week. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible, to the point where you get, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people in the world right now who have never heard a faithful presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right now. That reality is happening right now all over the world. This is why Paul will lead to this in chapter 10. Listen to these important verses. For everyone who calls, chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What he's saying is, doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what society they're living in, what language they're speaking, or the color of the skin, the gospel is very inclusive in that way. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and says, Save me from my sins, Lord Jesus, that person, that man or woman, will be saved. With any reasons like this. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And furthermore, how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, when missionaries catch on to this understanding that this is the way in which God builds His church and gathers in His people, their missions take on a whole new meaning now. And they go out and they tell people about the gospel in places where it has never been named. And did you know, friends, and let me just leave, before I move on, let me just say this. I'd be willing to bet that most of you who have outside employment or you go to school and you're out working with people and you're in school, there are people that you are around, maybe you talk with them all the time, maybe you become friends with them, work friends, and they could not articulate the gospel to save their lives. Like there's no one that's ever like ever, just sat with them and said, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what I believe. This is what I believe everyone must believe. Here He is. This is what He did. Just sharing that truth with you. And as our culture becomes increasingly secular, and as I predict, though I'm not the prophet nor the son of one, But as I predict that we will become more like European countries and churches will continue to empty out more and more, as even this week, I think I saw a video from Barna and they're saying already that church attendance is decreasing. That happened even more after COVID and as churches continue to empty out more and more and people become more secular, they're going to be hearing the gospel less and less. So all of a sudden now, it's resting on our shoulders again to be sharing the gospel with those that we have contact with how selfish it would be to be a people like in Rome Gentiles who hear the gospel for themselves and like well we'll just keep it with us four and no more we'll just keep it to ourselves I mean it's cool that I got eternal salvation and glory but this person I don't care enough about to share the good news with them that's not right. I have heard testimonies from pastors. I, uh, one pastor in particular, and I've shared this before, where he was in his, uh, the locker room in his high school, and, uh, and he grew up in a non-Christian home. But he's, in the, he's in this locker room for football, and one of his teammates came up and said, hey, i got to share Jesus with you. I need a time and place that we're going to do that, right? He, just, he didn't even give him the opportunity to say no to it. He gave him, though, the option, because we're Americans, and we like choice, we, we want to be free and when we hear it, but I'm going to share the gospel with you. That man is saved. That man becomes a pastor. This is the way God does it. It's not necessarily through programs of the church. Programs, I think, largely speaking. Programs in churches, especially when centered around evangelism, bear lesser fruit than just spirit-filled Christians with the gospel, making relationships with people and loving people talking to them, and then sharing the gospel in a workplace setting, in a locker room at the high school gym, or in a family, or with young kids. This is primarily from what I see and what I've experienced where God chooses to work. We all have this responsibility to make disciples through sharing the gospel as God gives opportunity. That's the reminder that we have in verse 1, but there's also a relief here, and I'll close us with this because our time is ticking away and I don't want to rush through the next two verses. There's a relief here to me in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in that it follows so closely. Now, those of you struggling with sin, listen to this. It follows so closely to Romans chapter 7 in verses 14 through 25, remember? What I do, I don't understand. I, I don't understand my own actions. I've got this principle within me of sin. I, I, I want to do right, but I can't get this figured out. And sometimes my sin takes my mind captive into the, the desires of sin. Evil lies close at hand. Remember all of that wrestling with sin, right? We made mention the fact that Romans chapter 7 teaches us that though we've been rescued from the penalty of sin and one day the very presence of sin, yet now we still will sin. We will fail. Now, the question could arise in a a believer who has a sensitive conscience but one who is really struggling with sin maybe a particular sin. And they get tired of asking for forgiveness. They're thinking, God just doesn't want to hear me ask forgiveness again. Here I go again, praying about the same thing. And they can start having doubts arise and maybe even thinking to themselves, well, have I I just gone too far? Like there's, There is a straw of sin that breaks the camel's back. And that one last sin that you committed, that did it. God's like, I'm done with this person. Is that possible? And I think that's where the relief of chapter 8 verse 1 comes in. There is, therefore, no matter how far down in Romans 7 you are, even if you're in verse 24, you're like, wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? You get to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and immediately there should flood over your soul, I mean in your heart, a feeling, yes, an actual feeling of relief from any anxiety. Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even the ones who are right now wrestling in Romans 7 with their indwelling sin. And I love that word now for a number of reasons. But one reason I love the word now in verse 1 is because every time you read it, now is always right now. It's always now. In 50 years from now in your life, now will be now, you see. So every time you go into Romans 8 verse 1, or every time you remember that verse, there's always now, friends, perfectly and completely, no condemnation to you. Is that not a relief? I mean, doesn't that make us go like this? Whew! It felt like a close one. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And isn't it wonderful, friends, sometimes to back out, to remember that, yes, Paul was the human author of this. He's the one that actually put pen to paper and wrote the letter. But to remember that every word he wrote was being guided directed by the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, it isn't just Paul that wants you to have that relief and that reminder. It's God. He wants His people to know. There's no condemnation to you. Uh, Yeah, God, but I've blown it. I've failed again. Yes, but can't you see, says God, the perfect provision I've made for you in my Son, There is no charge that can be brought against God's elect. It is God who justified. It's Christ who was crucified for you, and more than that, has risen for you, and is at this very moment, at the right hand of the Father, interceding perfectly and beautifully for all His people, even when they fail, and even when they sin. His life His sacrifice, His righteousness, His resurrection, and His presence at the right hand of God guarantees this, friends. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace to us as a people. And I want these people, all of us together, to experience the joy, the freedom, the lightness of the relief of the gospel. But I know that only your Spirit can apply it to each heart, so I ask Him now to do that for all of us here. Amen.